but I've been asked. And so we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll enter into this time. We'll enter into this moment. And so, Father, I would just pray that uh, even as that just ministered to me in these moments, that, um, yeah, you would show me how all of this um, connects and all of this comes together. In your name we pray, amen. So we've been in this series over these last few weeks, if you've been with us over these last weeks and months, Loaded Questions. We've been looking at the questions that Jesus has asked throughout his time on earth, throughout his ministry. He posed these questions to followers, to friends, even to his enemies. We've been looking at these particular questions because they did two things. They did two things back then, and they do those same two things to us even now. First, they expose what's really going on in our hearts. He asks a question, and it forces us to re-examine what we believe, what we think, how we are approaching his presence, how the patterns of our lives and the things that we believe and act on might actually be at odds with his will and what he's teaching. But second, they also give us an invitation. The question is an invitation into something else, into the life that he's offering us. And so this week as we approach uh, this scripture, it's my hope that, that it can be both of those things. It can be a challenge to us. That the question that we will approach will be a challenge to us, force us to re-examine ourselves, but it will also be an invitation into new life in him. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of his word. We'll be in Mark Chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And so here's what we see. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. So throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to try to reconnect here. I've been, uh, are we back? Great, okay, I'm back in. So we, we, we encounter this passage, and maybe at first glance, on our first reading, this actually doesn't seem like a loaded question at all. In fact, it just really seems pretty straightforward and awesome. There's no catch. There's no deeply penetrating lesson. Jesus asks the question. Bartimaeus answers, and boom, he's healed. If you just read the, read the passage and move on, you might think that Jesus is acting a little bit like a magic genie. What do you want me to do for you? Well, it's the same thing that the genie offers us. Three wishes to fulfill your life, to change everything you want. Jesus Didn't he say this? Ask and you shall receive. So, wish hard enough, it'll happen. Say the magic words, put yourself in the right place, rub the magic lamp and it'll happen. We see this story all the time. Get a pair of Michael's shoes, add in a little lightning, you go from little Bow Wow, you go to being like Mike. Or, you miss, you airball a half-court shot, you hit 
the Thunder mascot. There's a little transfer when you're when you're passing the ball back and forth with Kevin Durant, and suddenly you're thunderstruck. You see, these stories they have a little bit of resonance for me as somebody who likes basketball, but is five foot five in um, in my shoes. But sometimes they cross over into real life. You you join a team that won 73 games this past season. You were up on them 3-1. You blew the lead, but you joined their team. And next year, you can go on to win a championship. And then the next year, you can win a championship after that. But if we actually look closely at what this passage is saying, when we really dive into where the question is leading, we find that it's really not as straightforward as it seems. Bartimaeus, he isn't actually wishing away all his problems. He's not actually just taking a moment in front of a magic genie to get everything that his heart's desires, and then after that, his life is completely changed and different. There are elements of that. He is transformed. He's healed. He's made whole. But the step of faith that he is taking is actually a huge risk. It's actually a step not just away from his blindness, but into a life that is going to require something completely different of him. See, this is the way that the scholar and anthropologist Ken Bailey puts it. You see, he's, when he reads this passage, when he looks at the ways that a, a, the blind and the poor and the beggars would interact with society, what he's finding is that there's a huge risk. See, what he says is that a blind man, such as the beggar in this story, has no education, no training, employment record, or marketable skills. If healed, self-support will be extremely difficult. Indeed, is it not in his interests to remain blind? Is this blind man ready to accept the new responsibilities and challenges that will come to him if he is healed? In other words, Bartimaeus is leaving behind everything that he knows about the life that he's led up until this point. And he's stepping into a new life. Yes, one that's filled with the possibility to be able to see. It's incredible. But it's also a life that's going to demand more of him than it's ever demanded of him before. More than he can possibly imagine. In this moment when he's brought before Jesus, it would be so much easier for him to ask for money as he's been doing his entire life. It would be so much easier for him to ask for all of his needs to be filled, but to not have his sight restored. See, what's going to happen when his sight is restored is he's going to lose the handicap that makes him so effective as a beggar. He's going to lose that visible sign that he needs help. And he's going to be cast into a life where now he has to provide for himself. Now he has to follow after Jesus. He cannot no longer can he sit by the gate and receive. Now he is entering into a life that, yes, is filled with transformation and healing, but also demands something of him. And so when Jesus asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? It truly is loaded. It's a question that is penetrating to the heart of Bartimaeus. It's a diagnostic question, a test to see what's actually going on. Bartimaeus, what do you actually really want? Do you want a moment of having your needs met? Or are you willing to leave your old life behind to step into this new life of transformation and healing? And so if we have ears to hear, it penetrates to our hearts some of the same ways today. 
See, this question of what we really want, it goes beyond what we say we want. It actually even goes beyond what we maybe believe we want. But it penetrates down into our heart, into our bones, into the fabric of our lives, to what we really want. See, this is a theme that is repeated throughout this chapter, throughout Mark 10. Uh, About a few verses earlier in verse 17... There's a, similar, there's a story that you're familiar with, perhaps a story of the rich young ruler and this young noble who has everything in the world that he wants but is also living this pious and upright life. He comes before Jesus and he says, Teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Well, you've got to follow the law. You've got to follow all the commandments. And he says, Yeah, I've already done that. This I've kept this since I was a boy. And Jesus says, Okay, well, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. He's he's asking a version of this question. He's he's probing into his heart to see what does he truly want. And the young noble, the rich young ruler, he goes away sad. Because he is of great wealth. And he knows that what he really wants, what is really going on in his life, is that he wants to hold on to his wealth. He says he wants eternal life. He believes he wants eternal life. He puts himself in the moment of decision. But at that moment, his heart is taking him away from what he says he wants, from what he believes he wants, to what he truly wants, to hold on to his wealth and his money. And see, the, the reality is that we are faced with this kind of moment of decision actually on a daily basis. I was struck in the, in the time of prayer before the service as I was sitting with Leslie and with Abigail. They were praying. Leslie began to pray. She said, as, as I told her the question that we'd be confronting today, she said, Father, would you, would you confront us with this question day after day? Not just a moment here in this service. Would you remind us that that question is actually in front of us when we get up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, when we go to work, when we sit down for a meal, when we're with our family and friends. This question is always actually in front of us. That invitation, it's always there to new life, to transformation, to healing. The challenge is also there. To see what our true desires are. To see if we're going to submit them before the Lord. See, here's a simple test of what we really want, of what we're really going after. If you made a New Year's resolution this year on January 1st, raise your hand. Okay, a few of you did. If you didn't make a New Year's resolution because you know what would have happened, that you were going to break it, on January 2nd, so you were afraid, raise your hand. There we go. I made a few New Year's resolutions this year. I don't normally do that because I've been in that place where I'm just going to break it on day two. I made a few resolutions this year. I said, you know what, I want to stop wasting my time on media, on my phone. I want to go to bed early so that I can fulfill a second resolution so that I can get up earlier in the day and spend that time in Scripture and in prayer. I said... A, a third resolution, I wanted to, to get back into shape. I want to I be able to do a Spartan race. I want to be able to do a Tough Mudder. These are all things that I want to be able to do this year. Well, we're coming back down to the end of the first quarter, which is I kind of set all these goals. I got this planner that, you know, has these 90-day sprints. And it's like you, you write down your goals. You write down your reason why. You write down how you're going to celebrate and reward yourself. It has 90 little check marks, little boxes where you can strike off, you know, every day that you did it. I looked at that the other day. Not that many. 
boxes have been checked off. I've done pretty good, uh, okay on the prayer, not that great on going to bed early. I haven't worked out a single day of 2019. And so, and so what does that, what does that tell me? Well, what I really want is I want to put in less effort and get a greater return. I, I want to somehow believe that I can, I can be, I can be scrolling through my phone. I can stay up till midnight, but somehow I'll wake up at seven the next day, fully refreshed, ready to pray. When in the morning, when the alarm goes off, what do I really want? Oh, what I really want is to be comfortable. Bed's really comfortable. It's really nice there. I got a new mattress to help my back. That was a mistake. I want to be there. You see, uh, when it's time for me to, to, to think about working out, to, to put on workout clothes, to put on sneakers, seven-minute workout, that's all I need to do, seven minutes. What I really want is for my life to be easy. And I've uh, been blessed with this metabolism so that it just means that it, it doesn't really show up anywhere. Nobody knows that I'm not working out at all. Until I try to go out and run, and then I can't make it, you know, 90 yards without pulling my hamstring. See, I, I can say that I want these things. I can make a resolution. But when you actually look at my life and how I spend my time and my days, you really begin to see what I actually want to be doing with my time. When this question comes at me, what do you want me to do for you? Well, there's a whole bunch of other things that are high on that list before it gets down to the things that I resolved. You know, I had, a, I had a mentor who used to say, you can really tell where somebody's heart is, where somebody's desires are, by looking into two books. You take a look at their checkbook, and you see how they're spending their money, and what they're really doing with their finances. We might say, I want to be a generous person. We might say, I want to save up enough money to buy a house, or move out of my parents' and, 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 and lease an apartment. But when you actually track what they're spending, you get to see what they really want. Or you look in another book, you look in their, their day planner. And we might say, well, these are the people that I want to spend my time with. And this is the plan for my life to, to get an education or, or, to, or to move up in my job or to spend time with the Lord. But when you look in somebody's planner, you see what they're actually doing with the time. Well, it's 2019. Uh, Maybe a couple of people in this room are still using a checkbook or a day planner. But what is the device where all of that information now resides? It's right here. It's right here. You see, I, I I looked at my phone and I looked at the Screen Time app to see maybe maybe I'll put up maybe I'll I'll, I'll show what I'm doing. I was really ashamed. I was really ashamed. I will show you a portion of it. It shows you that it looks like I pick up my phone this this week. I picked up my phone 69 times, an average of 69 times a day. That I get these notifications, messages, the alarm clock. You see that that that's me going back to bed. And, and wanting to stay comfortable when the alarm goes off. So it's another notification. But it won't show you all the notifications I've tried to turn off to, to try to stay off my phone, but I'm still picking it up time and time again. If you were to go into my phone and you look at my calendar app, you look at your bank statement, your credit card statement, you see what we're really spending our time on, what we're really spending our money on, where we're really investing our energy. Those are actually the things that we desire. It's not just our own personal fault. You, you can hear what I'm saying and you can say, well, I'm, I'm just overly blaming myself 
And maybe there's an aspect of that that's true, but the reality is we live in a world and in a system where there are powers and principalities that are working to shape our desires, to shape our habits, to put us in a place. There's so much wealth being created in this country by people who are trying to find ways to get you addicted to your phone, to get you to binge that next show on Netflix, to get you to look away from your relationships, to turn away from prayer, to turn away from focusing on the goals that really matter, just handing over that next dollar to them. There are powers and there are principalities that want us to be distracted from the good work that God has called us to. All of these things are working against us, shaping our desires, shaping our lives. And so what do we find? That when we are confronted with the question, day in and day out, when Jesus asks us, when that offering and that invitation is always there, what do you want me to do for you? When we find that what is true today has been true for so often, for so long, that C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so the question is, are we going to be people who take stock of our lives, who look soberly at the time that we spend and our priorities, how we're spending them, and say, hey, this is actually what I want, to stop fooling ourselves and deceiving ourselves, and to say, i got to get brutally honest. i got to start there. Take a fearless inventory of my life and understand what I actually want, what my real desires are. The news actually even gets worse than that. See, sometimes we actually are living lives where our habits and our actions line up with what we say we want. But the challenge is is that, that our heart is deceitful above all things. And that's something that we've been returning to over and over and again throughout this series. This is why Jesus has to ask these questions to probe into our hearts. You see, we, we heard earlier in this chapter the story of the rich young ruler, but literally right before This story that Mark tells, Jesus asks this same question to his disciples. James and John, they come to Jesus. They're a little bit more presumptive than Bartimaeus is. They they say, we want you to do whatever we ask. And so Jesus asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? And James and John say, we want to sit at your right hand and at your left hand. See, James and John, their habits, their actions line up with what they say they want. Intimacy with Jesus? Well, they've forsaken everything to be with Jesus. They've left behind family. They've left behind their occupations. They're traveling with him. They've got, just as Jesus has no place to lay his head, they have no place to lay their head. Just like Jesus is being uh, run out and being opposed by enemies, they're being opposed by enemies. Just like Jesus is performing miracles and driving out demons, empowered by his mission, they are doing the exact same thing. Their lives line up with what they want what they say they want, but Jesus, he sees into their heart. They want to be at his right and his left, not just because they want to be with him, not just because they want to join him on his mission. They want to be at his right and his left because they want status and power and authority too. 
And so Jesus says to them that the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to not did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, when I take stock of my life, what I find is is that not only do I have this problem where what I say I want is not what I'm actually doing, but that so many times, even in the moments where they do line up, where my habits and my actions and my lifestyle lines up with my desires, there are powers and there are principalities, and even my own heart is twisting that to different ends and different means. A couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I, I went on a spiritual retreat to discern uh, to discern some big decisions that I have going on in my life, and also just a time to, to pull away and to be with the Lord. And so I went on this guided spiritual retreat, and um, was at this was at this institution here in the city, a Christian institution that will go unnamed. And and I was there. Uh, I just found myself really frustrated. I found myself really frustrated with the the resources that this institution had that, that we often find ourselves doing without in this neighborhood and on this mission. I found myself resentful. I found myself questioning. And one of the one of the uh, one of the things that I knew that I needed to discern in that time there uh, was was something that the Lord was working in my heart. I had been talking to Lawson Ramesh earlier that week, and I had seen uh, a book that, if you've been in their living room, you see that there's a, a picture. Uh, of this book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And, and the cover of the book is a painting that Rembrandt painted to, to illustrate this scene. And so I'm pacing around the outside of this institution. And I'm just frustrated. Um, I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm resentful. Uh, and, I, I, I'm, and, and the track that's going on through my mind is like, Lord, we're, we're doing so much. We're working so hard. I've been saying to the leaders, I'm doing so much. I'm working so hard. And and, and when I saw that image, as I was walking around that institution, the message that the Spirit was returning to me was, 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 was becoming clearer and clearer. That throughout all that I was doing, even though that there were habits and actions in my life that lined up with what I truly want, to be used of God, to see God's kingdom flourishing come true in this neighborhood, that so much of my desire was being twisted, just like the elder brother in this story. See, the elder brother, he, he, he's there in this story. He is staying at home. He's working in the fields. He says to the father at the end of the story, he says, I've done everything that you've asked me to. I've stayed here. I've not been like my younger brother who's gone off and squandered all of our wealth in a far country. As I was pacing around the institution, singing about everything that that older brother must have been feeling. You see, so often when we, when we read the story, at least when I read the story, I think that the contrast between the elder brother and the younger brother is about kind of like personal holiness. Like this younger brother, he goes off and he goes off and he just parties a lot. He lives a promiscuous lifestyle. He does, he breaks all of the, the rules about personal holiness that God has laid down. But as I was meditating and thinking about the story, as, as the Spirit was speaking to me and convicting me in my heart, I began to thought about all the other aspects of the law that they would have been given. You see, we have every reason to believe that the older brother is right. He's, he's kept all of these aspects of the law. And so it's not just that he's lived a holy life in terms of not partying, in terms of his sexuality. It means that he's given to the poor. 
He's been out in the fields with his co-laborers, with his servants, and he's left the edges of the field so that the poor and the widow and the orphan can come and glean. He's welcomed strangers into his home. He's kept every aspect of the law that we want to see come true in this neighborhood about justice and about reconciliation. And the younger brother, what has he done? He's gone off. He's literally gone off into a far country where the economic system is completely different, where it exploits people, where it oppresses people. And he's taken half of their wealth, half of what God has given them, and he's just thrown it away into an unjust system where people are exploited and abused. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh boy. I, I haven't just, I, I, I've taken all of these aspects of the law. I've taken all of these aspects of what I believe that God has called us to. Everything about my life that, that I'm working towards. And just like the elder brother, even though, yes, my desire, our desire, is for God's kingdom to come here in this neighborhood as it is in heaven. What I'm seeing is that I'm, I'm just like the elder brother. I'm not entering into the fullness of what that might mean for me. My desire is to justify myself, to feel better about myself for doing and being a part of that work. My desire is to have somebody else to look down on because I'm doing that work and they aren't. My desire is to feel better about all the areas of my life where I'm not living up because I'm a part of this mission, what God has called us to in this neighborhood. My desire is for for to be a part of institutions that are better than the institution that I was at. There are powers and there are principalities that twist us. Even my own heart is twisting the good desires that God has placed in us for flourishing and healing and hope in this neighborhood and turning it in on myself. So that's the bad news. Most of the time, we don't actually measure up to what we say we want. And even when we do measure up to what we say we want, these other desires creep in and twist and distort them. And we might find ourselves ending up like that older brother, disdainful of everybody around us who we don't feel like is measuring up. Working out our own salvation instead of actually living into the invitation that God has for us. But the good news is that real healing actually is possible. The good news is that we don't have to be caught between these two poles. On the one hand, not living out what we say we want. On the other hand, bearing down and gritting our teeth and drawing on other sinful motivations to just do the work that God has called us to. We can actually live into an invitation to real transformation, real healing, real hope. And so how do we do this? We see two things here in this passage that take place. The first thing is something that Bartimaeus does. You see, he takes a persistent position in front of Jesus. Despite the outcry of the rest of the crowd, despite everybody trying to stop him, despite powers and principalities setting out against him, he persists. He keeps crying out. He puts himself in a position to meet Jesus, to hear his voice and be in his presence. You see, we're all here because somebody did that. We're all here because Pastor Don, throughout his entire life, put himself, was persistent. He positioned himself, as he says, to receive God's love, to pray for people to come and be a part of the restoration and healing of this neighborhood. 
He did that day in and day out. You see, we're we able to be in this position. We just heard a testimony of somebody who put themselves in position. Lauren put herself in position day in and day out. And then when she couldn't put herself in that position anymore, she cried out for help from others to come around her, to keep her there, to cry out for that healing and that hope. Bartimaeus, he puts himself in that position. Even for a moment, he cries out. That's the invitation. That's one of the invitations that we have to build habits that allow us to embrace who we are, that allow us to put ourselves in a position to ask and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. To ask again. Okay, so I failed. But today is a new day and I get to ask again. Okay, so I failed again, but I have this desire, I have this want. And so we can be like that other person who came to Jesus for healing. Who didn't, who, 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 who was scared, who was afraid. And Jesus turned to them and he said, do you believe? And he said, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. We get a chance to want to want to change and be healed. So Bartimaeus, he takes this persistent position. But we also get to do something that Bartimaeus could only do in part. We get to remember who we are. We get to be a person who sees the fullness of what God has said about us in Scripture. And we get to remember that and remember who we are. Maybe... You remember, maybe you remember in that other story that we like to reference so often here in Eastern Fellowship, that modern parable, that modern fable, Black Panther. Maybe you remember that challenge, that first moment when T'Challa has to be challenged to fight, to enter into his identity as king and as ruler. And so he, he's confronting his rival, M'Baku. And they're fighting, and, and, and for a moment, it looks like he's going to lose. M'Baku has him wrapped up, choking him out. And he's, he's peering back, he's peering over his shoulder. And the queen mother cries out to him, reminds him of something. What does she cry out? I missed this at first. But, but my wife pointed out, she says, tell him who you are. And in that moment, the scene switches. He's reminded of all that he is, all that he is meant to be. And the fight turns. He wins. He beats M'Baku. And he's coronated and crowned the king of Wakanda. He claims his identity. And see, that's the invitation that Jesus has for us. That Bartimaeus could only see in part. See, Bartimaeus, he knew part of what his identity was supposed to be that he had been made in the image of God, and that part of that was to receive sight, that part of that was to move from this position of dependence to be able to follow after Jesus and to live a life that was filled with work and with labor and to be able to provide for himself. He could see that in part, but we get the fullness of Scripture. We get to see the fullness of who we are. So if you're discouraged by the ways in which you feel like you're not, Measuring up by those New Year's resolutions that you made and that you haven't lived up to. Or if you're discouraged because you look into your own heart and you see that even in the good things that you desire, they are twisted 
and distorted motivations. We get to remember who we are in, in Christ Jesus. We get to remember that we are stewards of creation. We've been given a task and an assignment. We get to exercise all kinds of gifts and capabilities. God has given those to you. And even though the world might say that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not capable enough, God's given you all authority and all sovereignty to make the most of who you are. We get to remember that you're you're a child of God. And in those moments when we feel like, man, I don't measure up. Man, I don't have what I want in front of me. We get to remember that we're dependent on God and that God is a good father. He desires to give his children good gifts. And though they might not be exactly what we envision for ourselves, he actually knows what's best for us. And he's leading us in a process that's going to produce good things in us. If you're ashamed of all the ways in which you haven't measured up, remember who you are, that you've been redeemed and forgiven. Your past failures, they've been erased. God does not hold them against you. You have a fresh slate Every day, every morning is a new opportunity. The old has gone and the new has come. He's brought you from out of the powers of darkness and into his kingdom. We get to remember that you are filled with the Spirit. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the same Spirit that hovered over the waters at the dawn of creation. It's the same Spirit that awakens dead hearts and brings them to life that can work both naturally and supernaturally within us to change the things that we desire, to reshape them, to give us new hopes and new wants, new habits and new longings. Finally, we get to remember this, that we're united with Jesus Christ and that he confronted the same question that he asked the disciples. He confronted the same question that he asked Bartimaeus. We see it at the very end of his natural life, of his earthly life, in the garden, for he's crucified. He is there. He's laboring in prayer. He's laboring. he's, He's taken by anxiety. He's laboring against the desire to forsake everything that he has to undergo. The scriptures tell us that blood is mingled with his sweat. He's under so much distress. What does he say as he wrestles with how to engage the next 24 hours to engage torture and beating and humiliation and crucifixion? And not only that, but all of the weight of our sin and our brokenness placed upon his shoulders. He says, if it be your will, take this cup from me but not what I will but what you will when confronted with this question implicit in that what does Jesus want what does he want the father to do for him yes in his human nature he wants the cup this bitter cup that he told James and John that he would have to drink he wants it taken from him but he submits to the will of the father and he says not my will be done but yours You see, we have a savior. We have a friend. We have a redeemer who has confronted every single temptation, every single challenge that we have confronted. 
And he passed the test on our behalf. We are united with him now until the moment that we are brought into his presence fully. His life is our life. Our opportunity and our invitation is to take hold of everything that he is offering us. To be a steward of creation in the same way that he was. To be a child of God in the same way that he was. To enter into the redemption and the forgiveness that he offers to be filled with the exact same spirit that he was. And so let this be our habit. Let this be the persistent position that we put ourselves in. If I can name one thing that has been transforming, even in spite of all of those resolutions that I have failed up until this point, and will probably keep failing into the second quarter and probably keep failing in the third quarter, it's that at least on some of those days, I've done the thing that Pastor Don has been challenging us to do, has been challenging me to do in all seven years that I've been here in this neighborhood. But it's to put myself into a position to receive his love. To begin the day and say, Father, what do you have for me? What do you asking me to do with my life? To take my cup of coffee and instead of pulling out my phone and seeing what all of you have been doing on Facebook and on Instagram, instead of being outraged by all of the latest happenings in our world on Twitter, to go to the list of things that I want God to do for me. And to say, Father, I submit all of these things to you. I submit to you my life and my work and the ways in which I'm not measuring up. I submit to you all the challenges that we confront in this neighborhood, the challenges of violence and gentrification, the challenges of people who do not have enough, all of the oppressive systems that we feel like we can't make any progress against. I submit all of these things to you. I hand them over to you. And Father, I receive your love in the same way that your son was filled with your love and your spirit. And so maybe you're already doing that. Maybe you're not. But as a community, as we prepare to enter another season, enter into the spring, as we move into the next season of what God is calling us into in this neighborhood, May we be people who are able to say that, Father, I want to receive your love. Let it transform my desires. Let it transform my habits. Let it transform my longings. And yeah, there are going to be days when I fail. And so I'm admitting it to you now, just like Lauren came to the staff and the elders and said, I'm losing hope. I say it to you now. There are days when I won't do that. and I need you to hold me accountable. There are going to be days when the things that you set out to do that God has called you to, that you fail on those. And that's why we don't just have these large gatherings. That's why we have house church. And that's why we have discipleship groups. So that we can bring those things before one another. To re-encourage one another. To remind one another. To take that persistent pers- position. To remind each other of who we are. United in Christ. Let that be what's on our lips and on our hearts every morning. Let that be what is on our lips and on our hearts every night as we go to sleep. That we would take that position and remember who we are, united with Christ, who has already accomplished all of that on our behalf. Let's pray. So, Father, I ask once again that you would make this true in my life in ways that only you can do. Make this true in our community in ways 
that only you can fulfill. That we would be able to see that it's not by might or by power, but it's by your spirit given to us through the life and death and resurrection of your son who is with us even now and will come again, not just as spirit, but as body, to give his rule and his reign over our lives, over our neighborhood, over all the earth. Father, would you find us, seek us out? Would we throw ourselves and would we cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us? Would you find us even in the midst of our distorted desires and our habits and the ways that we fool ourselves into thinking that what we want is you and really all we want is to justify ourselves? Would you come and be with us in these moments of worship? Show us the ways in which our, our habits and our desires don't line up with what we say we want, what we know you want us to desire. Would you send your spirit to realign us, to wake us up, to bring us a new life with you. Amen.